Masechet Yomah Daf 87. Uh, really fantastic and exciting Daf today with uh, a lot of important stories and uh, customs regarding the Tefillah. Uh, we start uh, with a statement of Rava. We were talking about Chilul Hashem and how uh, great people, for great people, even a small transgression is something uh, really serious. Uh, we were comparing Moshe and David and how one of Moshe wanted to admit his sin, David did not. And so we talked about a judge, um, that being a judge is a thankless job um, because you can only get things wrong and uh, you don't get paid for it. So this is the statement of Rava, Ki hava nafek ledina amar hachi, bisvu nafshe lekatala nafek, usvu bete letu abed verekan lebete azel. So when Rava would go and be a judge, he would say, I'm going on my own to die. Uh, in other words, if he says a wrong judgment and sentences someone to be guilty uh, wrongly, then the judge is responsible. And his family doesn't want him to go be a judge because he doesn't make money uh, from it and he goes home empty-handed, um, similar to a doctor or a teacher. Uh, they're allowed to make money just for schar batala, but not, not to make money for actually doing uh, holy work. Um, the best he could hope for is that when he comes back, he should be as innocent and okay as when he goes to work to go to be a judge. So um, uh, no, no good deed goes unpunished regarding a judge. Okay. This is a depressing pasuk from Iyov. So I guess appropriate that's in the of um, that when a person, even though he ascends all the way to the heavens and the clouds, a person gets uh, high honors and a position of power um, during his lifetime, he should it should not go to his head because in the end, ultimately, he the person who's going to perish like his own dung and no one's going to remember him. It's like, where is that guy? Remember that guy? Right. He thinks he's so important, but uh, it comes to nothing. Um, Rav Zutrai was a very popular speaker. And so people would carry him when he came to be a darshan on Shabbat and everyone would come, they would carry him on their shoulders like a, like a hero, uh, like a pop star. Um, uh, so in order for it not to get to his head, to, that he thinks he's so great, Power is not forever. Crown does not endure for generations. Okay, for a while, there's a few people that, uh, that came to see me and they uh, appreciate it, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not long lasting. So therefore, um, it shouldn't, he shouldn't take it to his head. Okay, good. Since we're talking about Pesukim from Mishle, we'll uh, analyze this one. Uh, it's not good to respect the person of the wicked, right? You know, shouldn't give any respect to the wicked. Um, but, but also, we're going to ter- interpret it as good. Uh, things that come to the wicked are not actually good for them. When they're respected in this world, it's actually ultimately not good for them uh, because it just uh, sets them up for their downfall. They get a little bit of reward now, but ultimately they get all their punishment later. One of the most evil kings 
of, of Israel um, because one time he humbled himself a little and uh, he, uh, he tore his clothes. So then Hashem said, okay, I won't bring the bad in his day, but I will bring it later on to a future generation. So therefore for Rasha, when he sees things are going well, it, it's uh, really only again, temporary and uh, giving him this, his reward now and he will get his punishment later. For a Sadiq, it's the opposite. Um, this is a continuation of the same Pasuk. It's good for a Sadiq not to get favored in this world. It was good for Moshe that he didn't get favor, favored and have his minor uh, transgression uh, uh, um, uh, atoned for, um, that he get punished for it right away, so that ultimately he gets further reward. This relates to the end of the previous stuff. Um, because at uh, hitting the rock, he didn't, uh, he, he didn't make a, a Kiddush Hashem. So had he um, not done that, then he still he would not it would not been, have been his time to die. But by uh, doing that, he got his punishment immediately, and then he could um, go on to the next world and receive his reward. Uh, more on that theme uh, is fortunate are the righteous that not only do they merit for themselves, but the merit continues for their children and grandchildren till the end of generations. How do we know that? Truth is, Aharon had other sons that also were worthy of being burned, but they were saved for, uh, for his marriage. Right, the other of Aharon's uh, uh, children that were left. So it means they were, they were similar to the ones that died. Um, and not for their own merit, but for their father's merit, they were saved. And opposite, woe is it to evil people that they are liable and that, that, that uh, guilt continues for generations to come in their children. Um, had many children that could have got semicha, ketabi, right? Tavi had a, Tavi, the servant of the Ban Gamliel. He knew all the halachot. He never actually became a rabbi, but he was worthy to become a rabbi. It's like uh, my wife's grandmother. She knew all the halachot, right? Milk and meat. And if you didn't do by uh, machronim, she'd tell you all the halachot, how to do it. Um, yeah, so yet, Kenan had all these grandchildren that were very worthy. But because Kenan uh, sinned and was cursed, with the incident with uh, Noah, therefore they remained as slaves and did not uh, and uh, did not improve. Um, you could ask about uh, the uh, you know uh, applying the sin of the fathers to the sons. Um, according to this Gemara, it seems that yes, it does it does go by not even uh, you know three four generations. It says until the end the end of the end of time. Uh, other Gemara say that's only if the children continue in the way of their fathers. Um, so here is, this is an interesting Gemara because it says the children were worthy. Maybe potentially they were worthy. Um, it's not clear if they had any possibility of getting out of it. Um, maybe, they, maybe they could have made Teshubah and totally gotten out of that curse, but they didn't uh, take the initiative. So potentially they could have been, uh, been better, but uh, the sin of the father caused them not to. Okay. 
and maspikin be'adon asot teshuba. Someone who gives merit to the public, he, he does things for the for the community, for everyone, for everyone else. So sin will not come to him, right? Uh, God will make sure that he doesn't fall into any trap. And the other hand, someone who causes other people to sin, that kimat almost uh, it's be very very difficult for that person to make teshuba. Let's explain why. So someone who did this merit for everyone, he doesn't deserve to sin because in the in uh, in the next world, uh, would it make sense for him to be to be in Gehinam and all the students who he taught and people he helped will be in Gan Eden and they're going to see, oh look, look, our, our teacher is in Gehinam. It's not very appropriate. The end of the Pasuk here says the Hasidim, the students, should not see their teacher in Shachat in Gehinam. Right? So therefore, um, God will make sure that um, uh, someone who does good for the, for the whole community, uh, like a teacher, will, um, will not come to sin. And the opposite, someone who causes other people to sin, he doesn't, it doesn't make sense for him to, have, to be able to make Teshuvah, because otherwise he makes Teshuvah, so he's in Gan Eden, all of his students who he taught to be thieves and corrupt, they're all in Gehinam. They're like, wait, he taught it. He's the one that influenced us. And he's in, and he's in Gan Eden. It wouldn't make sense. Adam Ashuk Bedam Nafesh Ad Bor Yanus. When uh, a person has blood on his hands and uh, he's going down to the pit to gain them, nobody help, helps him out, right? They, uh, they let him go. It does say the word kimat, so there's always a little bit an opening for a teshubah. Maybe if he brings his, those students along and helps them make teshubah too, then it would be okay. Okay, now after that uh, tangent of different pieces we came from Mishle, we come back to our Mishnah, which said, if a person says, I will sin, and then I'll repent later, I'll sin again, and I'll repent later, um, that then it doesn't work. Um, why does it have to say twice, right? Uh, just say, if anyone says, then, then the Teshuvah does not work. Um, so why, why twice? We saw the statement already. When someone sins once, they still feel guilty. Twice, maybe they still, by the third time, they don't feel guilty anymore. So it says, it's permitted. It's not literally that it's permitted, but it's as if it's permitted. He doesn't feel guilty anymore. Therefore, a person says, I'll sin, then I'll make Teshuvah. It means he still feels guilty about it. He feels, he does that once or twice. By the third time, he's not even going to say Echetav Ashuv. He's just going to sin and not care. Okay. Someone says, I'll sin now, and Yom Kippur is soon, then Yom Kippur will atone for my sin. Um, if someone thinks that, then Yom Kippur will not work and will not atone. That's the Mishnah. Lema matnitin de lo kerebi. We saw the statement of the opinion of Rabbi. He says that Yom Kippur has a power on its own to atone, even without Teshubah. Just the fact that the whole nation is doing it and a person, an individual, even if they don't make Teshubah, can receive that benefit. So this seems to contradict the B, because according to the B, Yom Kippur works absolutely. So even if a person says, I'll sin, and Yom Kippurim will, 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 will atone for it, so it should just work automatically, right? 
No, not so fast. Even a bee would admit that if a person sins on condition that Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur will atone for it, then no, then you can't do that. Yom Kippur does not work for that person. Uh, only a general sinner, that for, for them, Yom Kippur is powerful enough to atone for them. Good. Right, for sins against God, that Yom Kippur is mechaped, but for a sin against a, a fellow person, first you have to go and apologize to them. Um, good. So that's what the Mishnah said. Now we have a contradiction from another pasuk. Is that true that Yom Kippur does not have the power to atone for uh, sins against one's fellow man. This is a statement that Eli told his sons. His sons were corrupt and they were, uh, they were stealing the people's sacrifices. Uh, they were doing all kinds of terrible things. And Eli rebukes them and says, if a person sins to his fellow man, so God will, will uh, judge him or atone for him. And the rest of the Pasuk says, But if you sin against God, who is above that that can intervene and help a person? So according to this statement of Ali, seems the opposite, that God can help only regarding ben ish leish, ben dam but uh, not, for, not for sins against God, because then who's going to be above that to absolve them? So that's a, that's a really, that's a good proof uh, and a really important contradiction. So how do we resolve this? So we say, man Elohim dayana. When this pasuk says that if one person sins against another, Elohim, Elohim can often mean not God, but rather a judge. A judge will judge it, uh, judge the case and uh, intervene between them. Okay, fine. That explains the first half of the pasuk. The second half says, This is interesting because and are the same root. So the, the, the word that we use for prayer actually means, uh, it could mean to judge, like we're judging ourselves. Um, it could also mean to intervene, uh, like a, a lawyer, like uh, Moshe does, right? A, a lot of prayer, an essence of prayer is to intervene on behalf of someone that they should feel better, that uh, um, they should have long life, whatever it is. So in this case, it's palel. So if it means a judge, then who were, what's the second if the pasuk? If God, if someone sins against God, then who will, what, pray for him, judge him? So here's how we explain it. So if a person sins against someone else and God uh, intervenes, right, helps out, so then the other person will absolve him. In other words, you have a third party that can, it can still mean judge or um, intervene or help out in some way. God is in charge of those two people and still sounds like it requires the other person to forgive them. But if someone sins against God, so who can, who, who can intervene? Who could be more powerful than God that can... Uh, convince him or judge the case or intervene on his behalf? And the answer is teshuvah ma'asim tovim. When someone makes teshuvah or do good deeds, those good deeds themselves are like a good lawyer that will turn to God and uh, help, uh, um, help the person be forgiven. Okay, so that's how we interpret that pasuk and we bring it in line with the Mishnah.
אמר רבי יצחק, כל המקנית את חברו אפילו בדברים, צריך לפייסו. anyone who angers his friend, even if it's only with words, that doesn't mean he necessarily punched him or stole his money, just gave it, just said some insulting words, you have to apologize. שנאמר, בני, אם ערבת לרעך, תקעת לזר כפיך, נוקשת במרי פיך, there's a long pasuk in Mishle. It says, if you made yourself a, a guarantor, right, you said, I'll, I'll pay for you, um, or you uh, put out your hand, uh, you, you know, maybe shook hands or agreed to something, you swore that you would help out, or you, you ensnared yourself with your words. The words might be the same, uh, the same as what came before. You said, I will, uh, you know, I'll guarantee your loan. Or maybe you just said something that now obligates you to do something for your fellow man, and now you can't fulfill it for whatever reason, or you didn't fulfill it, this is what you should do to save yourself from the trap that you're in. Now that you've come into the hands of your neighbor, in other words, he has a claim on you, go and humble yourself and urge your neighbor to, uh, to forgive you. Good, that's the pasuk. So now we interpret it. The first case here is talking about if, he, if you owe him money. Then open your hand uh, and, uh, and, uh, and pay him back. If it's not money, if it's words, then bring friends. Bring a lot of other people uh, to intervene on your behalf. So this is related to the previous part about uh, uh, people pleading on your behalf. We're making a derasha here. The word would have uh, which means urge, we're reading, we're switching the letters around and reading as harbe. Bring a lot of friends, bring a whole delegation, give the person some honor and uh, to intervene on your behalf so he will forgive. Here's the famous halacha, we have to do it three times um, with each time a group of three people. Bring a line, you know, you can't have a line of people on less than three, then it's just two people. Um, so bring three delegations of important people, each time three, to plead on your behalf. Shenemad, yashod al anashim. Yashod is like yashar, means a line. Ve'yomar hatati, ve'yashar ha'aveti, ve'lo shavali. So it says here, three, and, uh, three phrases that say, you should go to him and say, I am sorry. And I didn't even benefit from it. This is the source, this pasuk from Yov is a source of, uh, in, in our vidui, right? We sinned, it wasn't even worth it. We didn't even benefit from it. That's how sorry we are. Okay, from the previous statement, we learned that you should do it three times. Now we learn you shouldn't do it more than three times. This is uh, Yosef's brothers. After Yaakov died, they come to him and said, oh, maybe they come, they think maybe he was, Yosef was just waiting till dad died and now he's going to take revenge. So they come and apologize again. And it says the word, na, please, three times in this pasuk, and from here we learn that you should ask three times, but not more. I guess they would have asked more if it was appropriate. Um, the reason seems to be that then you're just badgering the person, right? At some point, they just don't want to forgive you. And, uh, you know, you did everything you could. Don't bother them anymore. And, and now it's their responsibility, you know, you if you gave a sincere apology. Um, obviously, it doesn't mean that you do it like, like they did, that you say it three times in a row. Sorry, 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 right? It means three separate attempts. Uh, in any way you can, bring the right people along with you, do it the right way to hopefully pacify uh, the person's anger.
Vimet, what if a person died? Now you can't ask him anymore. Maybe Asara ben Adam, Amidan al Kibro, you bring a minyan and uh, to his grave, Omer, Hatati Ladonai Elohe Israel, Vidifloni Shechabalti Bo. And you say, I sinned to God, the God of Israel, and to this person, and this is what I did. Why 10 people? 10 people represents the community. So he, they, they, will, they will be the representative of this person who uh, is deceased. And um, so I'm still making the vidui in front of them and they will represent the person. Okay, good. Now we have a series of uh, four stories that um, uh, are very deep, uh, 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 psychologically very interesting. And it's good to think about the relationship between the halachot that we just read and the following stories. So we begin with Rabbi Yirmiya, Hava de Mileta, Rabbi Abba Behadeh which means Rabbi Abba had a complaint against Rabbi Yirmiya. The phrasing here is a little, uh, it's like a, a, a positive. Rabbi Yirmiya, kama. Rabbi Yirmiya, Rabbi Abba had words with him, had a complaint against him. In other words, Rabbi Yirmiya insulted, did something wrong to Rabbi Abba, and that Rabbi Yirmiya owes him an apology. So he's going to go and get, apologize. Azal etib adasha de Rabbi Abba. Rabbi Yirmiya goes to the doorstep of Rabbi Abba and sits down there. And the question is, why didn't he knock, right? And, and open the door and say, I'm sorry. Uh, so we have to read into this. It seems that he was too embarrassed, right? Rabbi Abba was so angry. Sometimes if someone's really angry, you just go knock on the door. They're going to say, what are you doing here? Get out of here. I don't want to be friends with you. So he's kind of contemplating. He doesn't want to do nothing because he wants to apologize. We just learned the halacha. He's supposed to apologize, but he's afraid that Rabbi Abba is not ready to see him. So he's sitting at the doorway contemplating, should I go? Should I go in? Should I not? Should I knock? Should I not? While he's sitting there waiting, Rabbi Abba's maid poured out the dirty water from the house and it landed on Rabbi head. And we're talking about third, this is sewage water, right? They didn't have this was their, their sewer was throw it out to the street and wait till it rains. Um, so you know he got this on his head. Ahmad, not on purpose, obviously. Ahmad asauni kashpa kara nafshem ashpot yadibibyon. Yadibibyon took this as a good as a positive sign. He says, look, they made me like a garbage heap, but the pasuk says from the trash, God will lift up the needy. In other words, I'm at the lowest point. It can only go up from here. Heard, who's talking? Who said that outside? So he goes outside. Says, now I'm the one that has to apologize to you, right? You are, you're all, all the way down and, uh, and dirty like this. It's my fault. It might be a play on words of refes, which means mud, right? So now he has to go and uh, appease his neighbor. Okay, I think this shows the kind of power dynamics that are, uh, you know, if I if I insult someone else, now they have to actually have a hold on me, right? Because I, I tried to put them down, but now I have to put myself down uh, in order to apologize. And so in this case, the maid actually worked as uh, as an intermediary, right? Because because of her actions, the Biyarba, who put himself up and insulted the Biyarba, he ended up being down and now they had to, they rebalanced the other way around, and so to be able to apologize and everything was okay. All right, so that's a great story. And it shows that what you learn from this story is that sometimes if a person wants to apologize and let's say you were insulted, maybe they're embarrassed because they don't know if you're ready to accept. That's why intermediary is good, right? The intermediary can come and say, listen, they want to apologize. Will you see them, right? And they say, okay. So Rabbi Zera uh, teaches us based on that an important lesson. 
whenever he had a complaint against someone, someone wronged him, he wouldn't hold a grudge. He wanted the person to come and apologize because he wanted to forgive them. So what he would do is he would go to that person who, who owes him an apology. He would go and, and, and back, walk back and forth, pace back and forth in front of that person's house, wherever they were. So the person would see them and say, oh, look, the Bizeras around. And he shows that he's willing to accept an apology. He's available. So they would come and appease him. So the Bizera, you see, wouldn't fall, have the problem of it to be Abba, right? Nobody would have to sit on his doorstep and get mud on them uh, because he showed he always wants to, uh, wants to forgive people. Okay, that's very nice of him. Why, why is it enough for him to just forgive them on, in his mind, right? Uh, okay, that could help him, but it doesn't help the person that wronged them because you're benefiting when, right, when you apologize, when you accept someone's apology, then their guilt is lifted. So it benefits them. So he wanted to benefit them. Okay, now it gets really complicated. This is a very interesting story. Rav, the great Amora from, from Bavel. The first generation Amora. He had a complaint against a certain butcher. A butcher, uh, especially in those days, was uh, a, a gruff personality, like, you know, like, uh, you know, the, the, the t- tough guy, you don't want to mess with him. Um, but the butcher did not come to Rav to apologize to him. So Rav, great Sadiq, Rav says, I'm going to go to the butcher, I'll take the first step, and I'll make myself available to forgive. Right, by being there and say, okay, you know, butcher, I'm ready to accept your apology. And maybe that'll make it easier for him. So Rav has good intentions. While he's on his way, Pagabe Ravuna, Rav's student Ravuna sees him and says, Where is the master going? Rav says, I'm going to appease that guy, the butcher. Ravuna, the student, said to himself, Abba, that's Rav's first name. Rav, that was Rav Abba. So obviously he didn't say it out loud. You don't call your teacher by his first name. But he's talking to himself. And he, so he says, Abba is going to kill someone. In other words, um, you never want to start up with the Gadol Hador, right? Uh, you do something wrong, insult them, look at them the wrong way, right? A lot of Talmudic stories end, up, end, up, end with someone dying uh, because of this. So Rav Huna is like looking ahead. It's like, this is not going to end well. All right. So he knows something that uh, we don't know yet. Let's see. So Rav goes and goes into the butcher shop and he's standing there like, okay, now you, now you can apologize. The butcher was uh, cutting open a head of an animal. He looks up, he lifts his eyes and he sees Rav standing there. Oh, you are Abba. First he's calling him his first name. In front of in front of his face. I mean, not like a student who was uh, just talking to himself. So first of all, that's already insulting. And the butcher says, "Get out of here! I have no I have no words with you. I, I have nothing to nothing to say to you." In other words, see for it off to even show up and say, you know, okay, you can apologize now is a, a threat. It's an accusation, and the butcher did not appreciate that. And so just then, you know, he takes his, uh, his, uh, his knife and he, and he uh, uh, um, uh, goes down and uh, cuts the, the head. A bone flew out, struck him in his throat, 
and the butcher died. So you see, Rav Huna saw all this, all this playing out, but I guess he wasn't able to intervene. Okay, what you have here is a really complex story because, right, who's right, who's wrong? Obviously, the butcher is wrong. He's a gruff person. Uh, we can assume that he did, in fact, do something wrong, and he should have apologized. So certainly, the butcher is wrong, and when someone wrongs a great sage, especially, right, this is the consequences. But the deeper question is, how about Rav? It looks like he's doing something good, like Rabbi Zera. Rabbi Zera is later. But Rabbi Zera, right, make, himself, make yourself available to forgive. What you see in these stories is the subtlety of the psychology. Sometimes it's good to make yourself available to forgive, but it depends on the person and the situation. Sometimes that will be seen as an aggressive act to go and, um, and do that. And so, yeah, it, it requires a lot of careful, careful calculation. I think that's why you have the halachot before, right? You have to do it three times. You got to go and apologize, be available. But every case, you have to attenuate and uh, find the right balance. Why are we reading Havelim um, differently um, this time than we did with Rabbi Before we said Rabbi that means he was the guilty party. No, Rabbi Abba had words with him. Rabbi Abba, comma. Rabbi Abba had words with him, with Rabbi Abba. Had a, had a complaint. Rabbi Abba was the guilty party. Right, correct. And here we're saying the same thing. Rab had a complaint against the Tabach. It's the same. It's written exactly the same way. No, it's not. It would be, Hahu Tabach, Rab Halamirta Behadeh. As if it would say that. That would be the parallel. Okay, one more story about Rav. Rav was teaching a, a Torah lesson, and Rabbi Udanasi, who actually was his teacher, uh, came. A lot of times the teachers would sit and watch the students, you know, and then give them a critique um, while, after they taught. So, Ayel atar Rabbi Chaya. So, Rav started his lesson, and then Rabbi Chaya, also uh, his uncle and teacher, came in late. So Rav goes back to the beginning of the lesson. Then Bar Kapara comes late. So Rav starts again from the beginning of the lesson. A few minutes later, Rabbi Shimon, the son of Rabbi, comes. This is already now the next generation. This is Rav's contemporaries. But nevertheless, out of respect, he goes back to the beginning. Why is everybody coming coming so late all the time? You have to remember in those days, they didn't have clocks. So you say, you know, we're starting, uh, you know, in the third a third of the day, uh, it's about, nobody knows really what time it is. Um, good. Finally, Chanina walks in late. Rav says, how many times can I go back to the beginning? So he doesn't go back. He just continues his lesson. Bichanina gets upset. What? You went back for everybody else? All of a sudden I come in, you don't go back to the beginning? Rav felt bad. And he went and apologized to Bichanina 13 years in a row every Erev Yom Kippur. Why Erev Yom Kippur? Right? He wants to, he wants to, he wants to be atoned. He wants to get the forgiveness of Bichanina. But Bichanina would not accept it. No, I'm not accepting your apology. Okay, that's the story. Now the Gemara asks about the story. We said that you should, not, should only ask three times. You should not ask for forgiveness more than three times. How could Rav go and, and ask forgiveness 13 times? 
Rav Shane. So this means, it could mean that Rav is different, that he's very pious, but that wouldn't make sense. I think it means that a teacher is different. If you're asking forgiveness from your teacher, then you have to do it even more, out of, out of the greatness of respect. So he goes many times. How could Rabbi Chaninada not accept um, the apology? Right, we know that someone who forgoes his honor, uh, that all of his sins are forgiven. So Rabbi Chanina shouldn't, okay, we understand that he got upset, but, you know, uh, 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 let go. Uh, why, is he, uh, why is he keeping, uh, keeping this grudge? Rabbi Chanina had another consideration altogether. He had a sin that Rav was being hung on a palm tree. That sounds negative, but it's actually a positive. The dream interpretation says anyone who gets hung from a palm tree, it means he's going to become the head of a yeshiva. Oh, Rabbi Chanina says, I see that Rav is planning and he's destined to be a Rosh Yeshiva. Now, Rabbi Chanina was the Rosh Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael. So what does that mean? Rav is going to be my Rosh Yeshiva instead of me. So what's going to happen to me? <laughs> right? Either he's going to be fired or he's going to die. So Rabbi Chanina says, this is not good. So So he never forgave Rav so that Rav would feel uncomfortable remaining in Israel and would go to Babel and become a Rosh Hashiva there and then therefore would not impinge on Rabbi Chanina's own career. So he had ulterior motives for this and ultimately it worked out well. Rav did go to Babel and became uh, the, the, the greatest uh, sage of his generation and did open a yeshiva. So that's the end of that story. Um, sometimes uh, you know, people have other considerations. Okay, now we go back to the Tefillah of Yom Kippur. Tenor Banan, Misvat Vidui Adav Yom Kippurim Ayim Hashecha. You should say Vidui Adav Yom Kippur before it gets dark, right? Which is what we do during Mincha. Uh, we say Vidui at the end of the Amidah. Um, sorry, the first statement says you should say vidui when it gets dark. But Chachamim say, say it again even before you eat and drink. Why? Because maybe titaref dato. That could mean that maybe you'll get drunk. They would maybe drink wine during the seuda and then not, not be able to later. Or Rambam explains that maybe a person will choke in the, right? Would it be a shame to get punishment, right? Just a few minutes before Yom Kippur. So before, you know, the few minutes before, uh, say vidui, just in case. And even though you just said vidui mincha before Yom Kippur, you say it again when Yom Kippur starts. Maybe during the meal, uh, you did something wrong, you said something, so you can say, have, make teshuva on that. And even though each time you, you said vidui in the prayer before, you say it again, because it's not over until it's over, right? So you never know. Um, the, the, the fate, person's fate is not sealed until the end of Yom Kippur. So continue saying vidui. Maybe you'll remember something that else that you, that you did that you could say vidui about. When exactly should you say vidui? When, uh, when you're saying the Amidah, you say it at the end of the tefillah, which is what we do. 
but the chazan says it in the middle, right? Um, which is also what we do during during the chazara. My amar, what should you say? What's the the text of the vidui? Amarav olam. God, you know all the secrets, right? And you know, uh, you know, nothing is hidden from you, and therefore we we have to admit everything. Uh, we say this prayer. Ushmal amar imam from the, the, the from the, the the depth of the universe, we we don't have this prayer. This seems to have been lost. The depth of the heart. We don't know what this is. Levi Amar right? His vidui was the pasuk itself that says, "This day is Yom Kippur, and you forgive everything." And continues, it's not because of our righteousness, right, that we come before you, but because you are so merciful. So we do include that. Our iniquities are too great to count. We have something similar to this. Okay, we have this, I think we say this in the Eila, right? We say it before? We a little different. We, we say it before uh, Shalom. Right. Everyone and everyone. It's in like, a, yeah. it's in, yeah. uh, right. It's yeah. in letters without, without the kudot. It's like, uh, right, if you want to say it. Um, good. So this is uh, before, uh, I, before I was formed, I was unworthy and that I have been born for sure. I'm unworthy. I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm like dust while I'm alive and all the more so after my death. And so therefore, um, uh, 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 may it be your will that I should not sin, uh, more and whatever I sinned, uh, sin, you should wipe out, but not through suffering. In other words, I'm so insignificant, you know, uh, how about, uh, I need some mercy. Just, uh, forget about those things that I've done. Rabbi would say this all year round, uh, this vidui. The younger, seems that this, this was said by Rabbi Hamnuna. Maybe this is a younger uh, person, uh, maybe his uh, you know, son, grandson or something. He would say this on Yom Kippur specifically. Mazuzra says, all these formulations, are nice to say, but only if you didn't say, Abal anachnu chatan. In other words, according to him, the essence of vidui is just saying those three words, we have sinned. If you say that, you don't have to say anything else. Abal amar, abal chatanu, tu las lo sarich, you don't have to say anything else. Amar abar hamdudeh, hava kaimna kameh One One time this person named bar hamdudeh was uh, standing in front of Shemuel. Hava yatib, Shemuel was sitting. And so he saw Shemuel was sitting the whole time, but when the Chazan said the words, Shemuel stood up. So he said, oh, you see, according to Shemuel, this is the main vidui, is these three words. Everything else is extra, it's good to say, but this is the main thing. Uh, we also learned, by the way, that you have to stand up when you're saying vidui. Good. Tenanatam. There's a Mishnah in Masechet Ta'anit that teaches. On three different occasions during the year, the Kohanim do the they say Bekat Kohanim four times during the day. Right, those are the four prayers. what are the three occasions that we do this? Uh 
במעמדות וביום הכיפורים. So תענית, when there's a תענית, in those days, if there's no rain for a long time, they would add נעילה. The problem is that they don't add מוסף. You don't say מוסף on any, any תענית. So it's really not clear what this, uh, what this means. It seems to mean that you'd say, you'd say Yom Kippur, you'd say Berkat Konim in all the prayers of that day, however many they are. Ma'amadot is when, uh, while the, there was always Israel watching the, um, uh, in groups, wa- uh, uh, taking turns, watching the Avodah. And so they would have all kinds of special prayers and they would add prayers. And so they would say Berkat Konim and Yom Kippur. According to this, you should, we should say, um, for every prayer, that's not our custom. We don't say it during Mincha. Anybody know why? Um, I, I think it's uh, later on, there's a, a suspicion that if we say it during Mincha and during Ne'ilah, then people will think that uh, you could say, you're supposed to say Mincha all the time, and Ne'ilah is the extra one. So we say it not during Mincha to make, uh, make it clear. Anyway, according to the Talmud, it sounds like we should say it for all four times. Anyway, my ne'ilat she'arim. What does, uh, what does what does ne'ilat refer to? Two opinions. Rav Amar selota yeterta. Rav says it's an extra amida prayer, as we do. Shemuel Amar, ma'anachnu mechayenu. Shemuel says it's an added, added tefillah, not a full amida, just an extra paragraph that you say for ne'ilat. Obviously, we we, we follow Rav. Me'etibe, a question. We say Shemuel, right, we say Ma'anachnu also. Instead of the regular Vidui. So we do we do this and we include it. Good. Metibet, challenge to uh, challenge to Shemuel. Or Yom HaKippurim, mitpalel sheva umitvadeh. We saw this Baraita all the way at the beginning of Pesachim, when we said Or Larbaza, and we're trying to prove what does Or mean. We prove that Or means night, because you see from here. Or means at the night of Yom Kippur for Arbit, we say an Amidah of seven Berachot and include Vidui. B'Shacharit Metpel Sheva Mitvadeh. B'Musa Metpel Sheva Mitvadeh. B'Mincha Metpel Sheva Mitvadeh. B'Ne'ila Metpel Sheva Mitvadeh. So you see that in all the Tefilot, you say the whole Amidah, including Ne'ila, right? So there you go. This is a challenge to Shemuel and the support for Rav. And so now we answer Tanaehi. It's a machloket among Tanaim, the Tanya. Yom HaKippurim im hashecha, mitpalel sheva, umitvadeh, vechotem bevidui. So Yom Kippurim, as it's getting uh, close to dark, you say an Amidah. Now it's not clear, is Amidah mincha or vidui. Let's say it means mincha. And then you say vidui. So according to that, that would follow Shemuel. Right? There's no separate, there's no separate uh, Amidah for Ne'ilah. Tebrer bimeir, that would follow Shemuel. Shemuel will follow him. Hachemim omerim, mitpalel sheba, imrasa lachatom bevidui, chotem. No, you say the whole amida, and then if you want to add an extra vidui, you can. That sounds like it's talking about Rav. Okay, according to that, it'll be machloket tanaim. This Gemara, there's something um, uh, very, very confusing about it, because then it says, tiyubta de Shemuel tiyubta. This is not, this is the opposite of tanaehi. So it seems that there's two different versions that are collapsed into one. According to one version, it's the machloket tanaim. According to the other version, I think they would read the bimeir as saying, you say the Amidah, that's Ne'ilah, and you say Vidui too. So both according to Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir says you have to say an Amidah with Vidui, and then Chachamim say you just say Amidah, and you don't have to say Vidui. But they both agree you say a full Amidah for Ne'ilah. And according to that reading of, uh, of the Baraita, this is a, ref- a full refutation of Shemuel's opinion. Okay, we have both Tanahi and Tiyubta, but really it can only be one or the other. Next, 
Ula bar rav nachet akame de rava. Patach be ata behartanu. Vesiem be ma anu mechayenu be shabbeche. Ula went down. They used to, the Chazan used to stand in a lower place um, in the middle of the synagogue. And he started with Atabrachatanu and he ended with, you know, what are we? And for Ne'ilah, he said this for Ne'ilah, and uh, Rav, uh, Rava praised him. But individual should say the the vidui after at the end of the amida. Amarav tefilat ne'ila poteret et shel arbit. Rav le tamed amar selotay terahi bechavan de salele tu lo sarich. Rav said that if you say ne'ila, you don't have to say arbit. You said the extra. You said the extra tefila of the day. Um, this is useful. You know, everybody's running out to, to get home because they're hungry, right? Uh, right after Ne'ila. So according to him, you don't even have to say Arbit that night. Um, and this follows his own opinion because he said it's an added prayer. It's a full Amidah. And so therefore, um, therefore you don't have to say it again. Me, Amar Rav Hachi, hold on. Did I really say this? Amar Rav, Halacha Kedivir Amer, Tefilat Arbit Reshut. And so... Uh, if it's optional, why would why would he say that you don't have to say if it's a shoot in the first place? Then why would he say that it's poter as if you had to do it? So he means that he's saying even according to the one who says tefilat arbit chova, if you said ne'ila, then you don't have to say this uh, again. Okay, one last point uh, regarding ne'ila that's said in Yerushalmi. Why is it called ne'ila? There's two opinions. One says that it's the end of the day of Yom Kippur. The other says it's the time of the locking of the gates of the Bet HaMikdash, um, which is actually earlier uh, during during the day. Um, and so uh, according to that, you're saying that a little bit b- beforehand, um, but those are the two meanings, either the, the earthly gates in the Bet HaMikdash or the heavenly gates. Baruch Adonai Lodam, Amen